Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I know that everybody wants to talk about Ron DeSantis making the announcement. And as I've gone over, the response from the left is, is hilarity and insanity. He's doing it on Twitter. Oh my, with that white supremacist, Elon Musk. These people are pathetic. And, and as you heard me say, Charlie Sykes is pathetic. MSNBC's Jen Psaki, pathetic. Oh, I mean, they are actually, I should say, slightly more pathetic than the uh, only Trumpers who think that Ron DeSantis is pathetic. Don't they know that the objective is to beat Joe Biden? Don't they know that they want to win? And maybe this radicalness uh, about Ron DeSantis and this all-or-nothing position isn't worth your time? It's just an ignorant position. Never Trump and only Trump are ignorant positions. Winning, that's a solid position. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, find everything at TonyKatz.com. So DeSantis is going to announce he's doing it uh, with uh, with uh, Elon Musk on Twitter and Twitter spaces. It's fine, and the people angry about it are just, they're just angry. They don't want, the, it seems that the left doesn't want DeSantis because DeSantis can beat Biden, and they don't think that Trump can beat Biden. Now, I don't think that's true. I think Trump can beat Biden. But the left thinks that Trump is the most beatable, and so therefore the left is now using the playbook from Trump to go after DeSantis. That should tell you a lot, in my view. But while that's the top story, how about the idea that the FBI will not hand over data to James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and to the committee in general, even though there was a subpoena? A subpoena was sent for a document. The document uh, allegedly details criminal allegations of a pay-to-play scheme having to do with the Biden family business. Uh, This idea that Biden was given dollars to change policy or to advocate for other policies. It's an FD 1023 and it's unclassified. This is the part to me that matters. Now, somebody could say to me, hey, Tony, you got to know this about the FBI, that about the FBI, and maybe I could change my view. But if you told me this was a classified document, well, possibly I could say, huh. Well, maybe there's a reason not to hand it over. I I could possibly justify the thing, even though it's the FBI and I don't trust them at all, and no one should trust them. They're untrustworthy. Got to feel bad for the rank and file, but the 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 uppers, the upper echelons, the brass did this to them, and they should be disgusted with the brass. But this is an unclassified document. Why is it being kept from the House Oversight Committee? Now, Speaker McCarthy said he had a call with the FBI Director Christopher Wray and is confident the agency will eventually provide the document. Uh, Saying on Fox News on Sunday, I explained to the director that we will do everything in our power and we have the jurisdiction over the FBI and we have a right to see this document. I believe after this call, we will get the document. But I don't think that's enough. And I think holding people in contempt is a good first move. Hold Ray in contempt. Of course, move Ray out of the FBI and engage in a massive, massive cleaning of house of the FBI. But then again, I also need to see Congress move to take uh, committee assignments away from Adam Schiff and a whole host of people. 
I need to see them move to take away committee assignments from KF Steve. Who's KF Steve? I'm talking about Representative Steve Cohen. Because Representative Steve Cohen of Tennessee, this is the guy who decided he was going to show up Republicans by eating a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken on the on the House floor. Do you not? Do you not remember this story? Oh, I've been calling him KF Steve for years. What an awful, awful dude. KF Steve, he is now taken to calling. Uh, Republicans, terrorists. So it's going to be difficult for President Biden to negotiate with somebody who has those type of uh, uh, legislative terrorists on their team. Uh, and the 14th Amendment is an ace in the hole. The 14th Amendment cannot be utilized to raise the debt limit unilaterally, and we'll let the courts decide that. But for calling Republicans terrorists, remove Steve Cohen from his committees. If the Republican Party isn't willing to fight, we don't need these people. You're going to get called terrorists and you're going to allow it to pass? No, you're off a committee. Adam Schiff lied to America for years about having knowledge about Trump and Russia. Off the committees, the guy should be expelled from the House. But I'll take the committees for now. That's it. I need to see some fighting back already. You don't get the, the, the document? Let's start investigating Ray. Let's start figuring out how we get Ray out of the FBI. If the Republicans can't do this, dear Lord, what good are they? And that's why I think this story matters, because it talks about a lot of issues. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. We called it the Hollywood fairy tale ending yesterday. With Stephen Wilson out. Of the Indy 500, who would replace him? Oh, sure. All eyes would be on Graham Rahal, who just got bumped from the 500. But Dreyer Reinbold Racing, Cusick Motorsports, for which Stefan Wilson drives, they've got a long-time relationship with people like Sage Karam. What about Jared Hildebrand? They know the team. They know the players. What would Dreyer Reinbold and Cusick Motorsports do. And then how do you get Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan Racing, never mind the sponsors like United Rentals and Fifth Third Bank to come aboard? What about the whole idea of Chevy and Honda? Well, when it comes to the Indy 500, all bets are off and Graham Ray Hall is getting into the car. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Kurt Darling joins us right now from the newsroom, 93.1 FM, WIBC, the racing savant. Uh, of the team and uh on a scale of one to surprised is this the most surprising decision or is this a well he has been at practice he knows the track might as well make it happen and it's good pr for us which one is it kurt uh i would go with probably pleasantly surprised now i'm not like over the moon shocked that it happened but it was it, they, he was my third choice uh, to take that seat because I thought I thought uh, Dryer and Reinwood would, would bring in one of their normal guys. Uh, J.R. Hildebrand was at the top of my list, and then maybe Sage Karam before bringing in Graham Rahal. But the, the, at the same time, though, Tony, it, it makes a lot of sense. A because well, th- first off. If you were to bring in another driver that hasn't been at practice, you would likely have to do a veterans refresher. That means an extra practice session for them to get that done. But the amazing thing to me, Tony, is the fact that Honda, as you mentioned, 
was is allowing Graham Rahal, who has been a career Honda driver, sponsored driver. In fact, the last time he drove a Chevy-powered car was back in 2008 at Long Beach. But still, ever since then, he has been with Honda, and usually those contracts are pretty ironclad. They don't like drivers going back and forth between those types of things. So for them to move out of the way and say, hey, you can go ahead and go to a Chevy-powered team and drive this car, along with United Rentals and Fifth Third Bank going over to sponsor that car with them, all of that happening in a matter of hours. Usually this takes about maybe months to put together. It happened within in a matter of hours, and they got it done. It was pretty shocking. You know this sport very well, Kurt. You're Graham Rahal. You're in a new car with an engine you don't usually work with, with a team you don't usually work with because his team's not coming over. It's a different pit crew. It's a different everything, right? Yeah, that's right. And and as we talked about yesterday, it's the car that qualifies, not the driver. So, so now with, with, with all of that, you're Graham Rahal. How do you approach this race? Well, here's the thing, and this was based off of a practice on Monday. Uh, Will Power was the fastest in practice that day, by the way, but he made the comment. Um, it's he, he feels that the Chevy-powered cars are a little bit better in power and pace in race s- setups. So um, that being said, if you're Graham Rahal, now don't get me wrong, he's not going to go out and say the Chevys are better than Honda because, you know, he's a still a Honda-powered con- contractually obli- obligated driver, but if... You know, if I'm Graham Rahal and I'm totally just speculating on this, I would think, hey, you know what? I have a really good engine behind me. The only question is now they are going to a backup car because Stefan Wilson's car in that wreck was totaled. So they have to go to a backup car. It's a two year old chassis, by the way. So that means it has some age to it. But um, it was actually Oriel Servia's chassis from several years ago, actually. So it's been really remade. And he said it was fast. So if I'm Graham Rahal, you know, you go in, you're going into a smaller team. So there's still some question marks there, but you're with a Chevy powered engine, which appears to be pretty good on pace. And the, but the other thing is too, he's going to have to start from the rear of the field because not only are they changing cars, they're also changing drivers. So by rule, he has to go all the way to the 33rd position. So everybody in front of him gets to move up from between 26th and 32nd. They're going to be moving up a spot. So, but still he's in the race. That's and if I'm Graham Ray Hall, I'm just glad to be in the race. Yes. If you're Graham Ray Hall, Man, this is all you can hope for, all you can dream of, that this actually happened. I mean, I don't think you dreamed of uh, Stephen Wilson getting injured there, needing surgery, but you dreamed of something happening where you could bring your talents to it. But it's more than just bringing your talents to it. Everything has to come together, including, well, the incredible money. Think about it. You're, you're the Graham Rahal sponsors. Never mind just Rahal uh, Letterman Lanigan Racing, but you're right, Graham Rahal sponsors, and now you're not going to be in the race. This is what you paid for, baby. And now you have a chance to be back in, but you got to make a deal with another team. I spoke to Kevin Lee of NBC Sports. He does trackside on 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. The guy knows racing left and right and well, it's this money conversation that's a huge part of this. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, there's the fairy tale side of it, but man, how does a deal like this come together? The money is everything in this sport. You you need the sponsors to survive and satisfying those sponsors matters greatly. So, 
while I, I do want to take a look at the dry Reinbold side of this, was there any mention from IndyCar and hey, uh, you should you should want to get something like this done? Hey, uh, we need to keep sponsors going and and flowing. It's hard enough as it is. Uh, we want to keep these people in these long term relationships. Was there any conversation that took place with IndyCar itself? So it could have, but I doubt it. So it, it first starts with Honda and Chevy agreeing to work with a competitor. And let's think about it this way, too. Graham Rahal is going to learn some things about Chevrolet that can be taken back to Honda. Not a lot. The driver's not going to learn everything in a weekend. But it started with Honda. If Honda were to have said no, which I doubt they did, I think they get it. Then IndyCar might have come back and said, hey, we need to protect one of our full-time teams because while the partners, Fifth Third, United Reynolds, and Fleet Cost and Care are full-season partners, the Indy 500 is what it's about. That's where we get our biggest television audience by far. It's the biggest race in the world. And when they're not involved, then that makes it very difficult to uh, satisfy what you've promised them. Talking to Kevin Lee of NBC Sports and Trackside on 107.5 The, the, the Fan. You can find him there. Um, is there a financial consideration that took place? Did United Rentals, which thought it was out of this, fifth, third thing, they're out of this, did they say, well, look, if this happens, we're going to kick in a couple extra bucks here and there because we want to see our name on a car going in a circle and turning left? Or in an oval. That's usually how that works. And there was the option, and people asked this question, there has been precedent of a big-name driver with partnership being bumped, and then they essentially buy a ride for someone else. That happened with A.J. Foyt's team in 2011 with Bruno Giancara. Ryan hunter Ray had been bumped, and they essentially took the sponsorship over to that car. So I would imagine that there's a little bit of a, of a kick in there to get some of the Ray Hall partners on that car, or it could simply be a trade. It could be, hey, you need to hire a driver. You don't have to pay the driver if you just allow us to put the partners on the car. Uh, Graham's already under salary with our team, but certainly there is a financial consideration to this. Now let's talk about Graham Rahal, because I'm with you. Uh, For Dreyer Reinbold to make this move, it looks great for them. They look like heroes in the eyes of a lot of people. It's IndyCar coming together, and people love that story. But there is the Graham Rahal story and the soap opera that seems to exist from the outsider looking in that Graham is not happy on dad's team. And Graham would like to be outside of that team. And it seems that this move gives him the opportunity to show that he can drive. So what is victory for Graham Rayall here? Just being in the race? Does he have to win the 500? Or if he places 13th, does he show the rest of IndyCar that he is not the problem? Uh, Rayall, Letterman, Lanigan is the problem. And he should have his own deal with another team. <laughs> It's interesting. It is something to think about. I'll be very surprised if Graham is driving for another team. If And what he's talking about is just we need to be better, and he's honest. And that's something that you can do when your family owns the team. Other drivers can't be quite so blunt that we haven't got it going on. But it's generally been team-wide. Certainly with him and Jack Harvey, they have not had the pace. Bloomgard is an amazing talent. He's another teammate. He's been a little bit quicker at times. Um, but it, it does show some things, and, and maybe it teaches them something that they can learn from the Chevy side of things. Uh, I don't see Graham going anywhere. I think he mostly just wants to motivate the team to get it together, 
And if it doesn't get a lot better, Graham's got many other businesses. He does not have to be a race car driver. I don't see him fully retiring. When he does stop driving full-time, he'll keep doing the Indy 500 for a few years. The idea that he's got other things going on, they're building, the, the or if they haven't already finished, the, the massive project there, I think it's in Zionsville, uh, you don't want to be the guy who got bumped out of the 500. You don't want to be the guy sobbing by your car. Uh, there's, there's still serious ego at play. Do you believe that that ego at play could get Graham Rahal in the final, in the final analysis, could it get him to move to another team? Um, so let's look at it from the other team's perspective. Graham is talking about I'm near the end of my full-time career. There's a lot of big-name free agents out there. So I guess to go back to your original question, say he does finish seventh or eighth, maybe that spurs some other conversations, but no one has doubted his ability at the Indianapolis 500. He's always raced to the front. He could have won the thing a couple of years ago. There's a really deep driver market right now. Could there be some interest? Part of it would depend on if Graham has the ability to take some of these partners with him. I don't see him taking partners and sponsors from his dad's race team. And that's a lot of what motorsport is about. There are plenty of talented drivers. If you're a talented driver that helps pay the bills, that's a different story. Um, I, I don't see Graham Rahal driving for another team next year. I think well, he'll be got about 30... or not driving. Well, I've got about 30 seconds left with you, Kevin. We talked about some of these new names for, for many of us. It's, it's a different set of names, and you've got big names that are retiring. Tony Kanaan, this is his last race. You wonder how many more Helio Castroneves has in him. Uh, we don't see, of course, people that, that I, if you will, came up with, people like James Hinchcliffe at all right now. Um, are we about to see a lot of turnover in IndyCar? It's, there's a big number of guys in their 40s and then there's a big number of guys in their early 20s so yeah you are seeing the end of a classic area uh, era and you're right uh, Castroneves I think he'll be back next year at least for the Indy 500 but he does not have a full-time deal yet for next year it's still early Dixon could drive another 10 years he could say you know what I I've done enough uh, at this point so he's in that group of Masato is in his past his mid-40s at this point. I know he's not ready, but yes, we're getting close. It, it is a really wonderful area with big star names and I think at least a dozen guys that can win this race. Kevin Lee over there, trackside, 107.5 The Fan. I appreciate taking the time to be with us. That's one of the big storylines here. The speed in qualifying for the 500. There are a lot of teams that can win. You know, we talk about that that starting row, that starting three, all qualified with the, with the four-speed uh, qualifying, four-lap uh, qualifying of 234 miles an hour. There was nobody in the top nine who was under 233. Everybody has an opportunity. There is no runaway, and there is no runaway team this year. There are teams that are performing, but there's no runaway. There is opportunity on opportunity on opportunity. What I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see, I haven't been proven wrong yet, but I've got a little more research to do. Take a look at records for passing. You have got, at least right now, perfect track conditions, perfect weather conditions for these cars to feel very, very comfortable in movement. There does not seem to be a reason that they cannot 
make it happen and have a lot of opportunities to try and take position. That's one of the things I'm looking for at this uh, 500. I'm, I'm so ready. I'm so absolutely ready for it. I'll be out there at the track. You guys know I do uh, the pre-race or broadcast. It's going to be a good time. And I've got my cigar selections. I've got it all together. I'll share those with you uh, in the days ahead. This is Tony Katz today. You can't fight the friction. And then just a little bit about not being, not feeling like you are free to speak your mind. Okay. So um, in the sport of cycling, right now the media really wants to push guys racing in the women's field. And and along with that, a lot of the sponsors feel or seem to feel that if you say anything against that, that you are hurting their brand. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to speak out, you probably will lose sponsorship. You probably will lose your spot on your team. And you will get a lot of backlash on media. You might lose your job. I know some people who would have loved to speak out, but they're afraid to lose their job. A lot of cyclists, they don't make ends meet with cycling. They have to have a daytime job. Then they train before or after their mm-hmm. full-time job and then race on the weekends. So it's a yeah. whole livelihood that's at stake. Yes, it is. A livelihood that is taken away from people who know that they shouldn't have to compete against men because it is simply wrong. It's wrong. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. That was the voice of Hannah Arensman. I think that's how I pronounce her last name. A-R-E-N-S-M-A-N. She was speaking to Dana Perino on Fox News. And she had to compete against a man, lost in a major competition, said, that's it. I'm retired. I'm done. You're not going to take me seriously. You're not going to treat me seriously. You're not going to recognize the differences between men and women. I'm out. I'm not going to be a part of this. Good for her and how awful for her. Good for her for standing up. How awful that at 25, she's like, yep, everything I've trained for. Can you imagine? I don't even know what this sport is. Cyclocross? I have never heard of cyclocross in my life. As described by U.S. Cycling, cyclocross is a unique non-Olympic discipline of cycling that can best be described as a cross between road cycling, mountain biking, and steeplechase. Steeplechase? You mean where they do the hurdle into the water and then they, and then they run? Watching cyclists dismount their bikes to run upstairs and steep embankments often arouses questions about the origin of the sport. Although it is difficult to find the exact reason, many legends have it that cyclists would race from town to town off-road to bring a new element to road racing. It's insane. And this was her sport. This was her football or her basketball or her whatever. And this is where she found her joy and she found she had a talent. And so she went all in on the training that she discusses not enough money in the, in the sponsorships there. So of course you got to train on the weekends and train at nights while you have a regular gig. And all that training didn't mean a good hot damn because some woke fool decided that a man could say they're a woman and compete. And there are people out there who say that's right. Those are awful 
people. They hate women. The only term would be misogynist. They hate women. They want to erase women. And I must admit, I stand stunned and floored at women who accept this. You're the ones being erased. You're the ones being vanquished. You're the ones being pushed off of the podiums. We saw this, was it, was it a high school? Where uh, this transgender athlete, this, this boy who claims to be a girl, came in second but uh, the girl who could have gotten third uh, was pushed off the podium. She doesn't get a bronze. She's out because they let some man decide it was more important. Men are more important than women. That's what the progressive left are saying. It's what they're saying. I don't know why there hasn't been pushback against them. I don't understand how they're able to get away with this. I don't understand why leftists or women allow them to get away with it. I don't know why suburban soccer moms aren't more angry. I guess when it happens to your kid's soccer team and your kid's position and your kid in the band and your kid in the school play and your, because it'll be in more than just sports and your kid everywhere. I guess it will happen then that you're like, wait a second, that's not all right. I guess when your daughter because we want to keep it in the sports realm, right? Is told she can't make the girls' basketball team because Johnny, sorry, Joanna, is on the team. Maybe then you'll care when it happens to you. That's the problem with liberal women. There's no thinking about what is right and what is wrong. There's only a thinking about an emotion. I can't have anybody call me a bigot, so I got to believe all these things. I shouldn't say it's just liberal women, right? That would be a a, a rude thing to say. It's progressives in general and the people who are afraid of being called names. You understand that so much of the not speaking out is about being afraid of being called a name. It's It's about the fear of being labeled. And I don't ever want to dismiss that fear. It's real. It's very real. It's super duper, super duper real. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. But what you find is that after that first deluge of name calling, if you're able to understand how to keep your back straight, it all just falls away. It does. It falls away. It disappears. It's gone. Remember, I dealt with this in a, in a different way when um, a, a group of rabid leftists decided that on Fox News, I insulted Joe Biden. I made fun of his stutter, which I did not do. This was a conversation about the debate between Biden and Trump and how they were going to shut off Trump's microphone. And I was trying to make the point that while we won't be able to hear Trump, Biden will hear Trump, and it's gonna, he's going to get interrupted. Is that what you want, a stammering, stuttering Joe Biden? Now, I could have said it cleaner. I've always said that. I could have said it cleaner. But I didn't make fun of anybody's stutter. Yet, that's how Media Matters wrote it, and that's how scumbags like Jake Tapper and Willie Geist decided to talk about it on Twitter because they didn't look into it. They just decided to make a statement. Didn't matter that I was the guy who was going to take the heat. It didn't matter to them. They don't care. So that's why on a very personal level, I find them to be disgusting people. 
because it never once dawned on them that, hey, this is somebody's life we're talking about here. It doesn't matter. Cancel, bury, destroy. Cancel, bury, destroy. And there were thousands upon thousands of tweets that came my way. Thousands upon thousands. And threats, and we're going to go after your sponsors and do this and that and the other. And the next day, it all went away. It all went away. It was gone. And when I was asked about it on air, are you going to apologize? I said, apologize for what? If Joe Biden came to me and said he wanted an apology, I would explain to him what I was what I was saying, and there's no need to apology for an apology. I believe my exact words were, hey, if you felt that it was insulting, I'm sorry you felt that way, but here's what happened. But owe an apology to somebody on Twitter? 20,000 tweets came my way calling me fat and beaver teeth. True story. Swear to you, true story. For about 36 hours. And then it went away. And so what you learn from this is if you don't break, it just moves past you because these people are on to the next thing and on to the next thing and on to the next thing. Now, when it comes to the woke and this radicalness about transgenderism, um, well, they don't move away so quickly. These are angry people, bitter people, in many cases violent people. We're seeing more and more cases of violence. Uh, you, you won't accept this, that, or the other. You won't make a con- uh, consideration for me. You won't change how you deal with things for me. Well, then there's physical attacks. And we're seeing this all over the place. And we've seen the absolute horror in which groups like, for example, the ACLU of Indiana have treated people on this subject. And when especially they're talking about kids and they're okay with kids making these decisions, that's abusive in, in my view. Children can't make this decision. And it's really disgusting to think that somehow we should allow it. And they refer to it as gender affirming care you realize how hateful they are towards children it's 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 gross as as gross can be but the rules still apply if you stand strong if you don't break if you accept the fact that you're not wrong to want to protect women in sports you're not wrong to want to protect children What is wrong is attacking children, mutilating children, and telling young girls and women in sports that they don't count, they have to take a backseat to a man. Those people are wrong. You're correct. Stand up. You've got way more people on your side than you think. But this is really, I think, a bigger conversation about manipulation. And part of what happens when honest conversation is prevented from getting into the sphere, which is why I am so supportive of Elon Musk and what has happened with Twitter and why I will remind people from now until the end of time, Jack Dorsey was a terrible CEO. He's a terrible guy. I don't think people should use his products. And that includes his merchant services products. And I say this as a guy whose family is in that business. You bet I'm saying don't use him and use me instead. I'm absolutely saying it, but I just don't know how you trust him to begin with. Look at what he did to Twitter. Look at actually what he allowed to happen to Twitter and did nothing about it. He could have. He did nothing about it because he's weak. That's all there is to it. This brings us to the Indiana Democratic Party, which is, uh, as we all know, a group of very, very 
hilarious people. (laughs) Republicans in Congress, they write, including all seven House members and both senators from Indiana, are holding Indiana and America's economy hostage by threatening a default on our country's bills. Their solution? Widespread cuts to veterans' health care benefits, Medicare, Social Security services, our teachers, and law enforcement officers. The Indiana Democratic Party is lying through their teeth. They are a bunch of liars. In one paragraph, if you actually believe the Indiana Democratic Party, you will believe anything. You are a sucker's sucker. Let's start at the end and work our way back. There are no cuts. The Democratic Party has decided we want to spend at level X. We were spending at X minus 20. You say we need we can't afford X. We need to spend at this X minus 20, and they decide it's a cut. Let's say it differently, maybe a little more accurate. You want to spend X. They want to spend X plus 20. You say, no, we just want to spend X, and they say that's a cut liars and so sam barloga who put this out he's the contact on this uh press release he's lying the indiana democratic party is lying through their teeth it's not a cut we're talking about spending levels of 2022 and have they not noticed where the economy is we don't have the money You put more money into the economy, you're going to keep inflation high. Americans shouldn't have to handle that. Hoosiers shouldn't have to deal with that. Why does the Indiana Indiana Democratic Party hate Hoosiers so much? I don't know. First, they want to keep inflation high, and now they lie to them. But let's go back even further. They're holding Indiana and America's economy hostage by threatening a default on our country's bills. No, they're not. They voted to pass a debt limit increase in the House. They already voted for it. There's a debt limit increase waiting in the Senate. Now, if you think that's the fault of Senator Todd Young and Senator Mike Braun, that it hasn't been voted on, they don't get to bring it to the floor. The majority leader does, and that's Democrat Chuck Schumer. Democrats are holding it up. Democrats want to see a default. And Democrats don't care about Hoosiers. They care about the blame game because your life is an insignificant pawn in their power play. I swear to you, Indiana Democratic Party, if you want to do this, I can do this, kids. I can do this all damn day. I can do this all day. All day, son. Are you out of your heads? You think you can lie to Hoosiers and we're just going to let it go by the wayside? You're nuts! My God, pick the street corner so I can laugh in your face. Make sure you wear your COVID mask or whatever it is you wear. I don't know, maybe you don't wear them anymore. Beats me. The progressive left so believes their ideology... And that it comes and it so desperately comes before their humanity that there's nothing they won't say or do. Put women in the back of the bus, push them off the podium, lie to you about what's happening in Washington, D.C. Don't break. Say no. Push back and win the war. I'm Tony Katz. 
mean, a couple years ago, Fox is where you would expect to see someone like Ron DeSantis trying to kick off his campaign. The fact that he's going to Twitter, it also suggests and caps off a week of a lot of conservative movement to Twitter. So it's really notable. You had Tucker Carlson saying that he's moving his Fox primetime show to Twitter. Yesterday, I reported that The Daily Wire, which is a huge conservative entertainment media company, is moving its podcasts over to Twitter. You're going to start to see a lot more momentum flock there from conservatives. And that used to be Fox's territory. If you're Rupert Murdoch, this is a scary time. That's Sarah Fisher from Axios speaking on CNN. And that is completely accurate. If you follow my morning show, this is exactly what we talked about. You better believe it is. And this is why the left is so infuriated that Ron DeSantis is making his announcement that he's running for president on Twitter. I mean, they're mocking it because they don't have anything else they can do. They lost Twitter. They lost their sandbox. They lost their biggest online power play. They no longer control it. And they are infuriated. They are so angry. They are apoplectic. They are lost. And I will tell you, as somebody who creates content, I've already been looking well into their subscription side of things. I had moved out of Facebook and into locals. And we did the same thing with the Cigar and Bourbon Show, Eat, Drink, Smoke. We're having good success with what I do. Not as great success with the Cigar and Bourbon Show. And maybe it makes sense to bring that to Twitter because now we can talk about these things without getting canceled. I speak honestly about what I'm seeing. We're seeing great success in the podcast, in the radio show. The new book is out, Let's Go Barbecue. <gasps> I've said too much. Uh, it, it, it's, it's at Amazon now. You, you can get it. It's a day early. But so what? It's Christmas early. Let's Go Barbecue from us at Eat, Drink, Smoke. You should check that out. Twitter is it. Rumble is it. And the left no longer controls the means of conversation. And that has them apoplectic. What will Ron DeSantis say in the announcement? I'll have that for you tomorrow, everyone. Take care.